It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Oh, yes. Once once the season ended, it didn't take long for Kyrie Irving to make his presence known. It is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus, not to mention... On your smart speaker at Play ESPN Radio Network, I am Chris Carlin. He is Chris Canty. What is up, my friend? I can't call it, man. I had a really good weekend in which I took your advice and did something that you suggested I do a couple of weeks ago. Mm. And I got to say, I'm a little disappointed that you steered me down this path. Just a little bit. Wow. Just a little bit. But we'll have plenty of time in the show to get into that. I look forward to that. Yeah, how are you doing today? I'm doing outstanding. I, okay. I'm doing outstanding, and, and I, I guess it's just because the mere words Kyrie Irving just bring a smile to my face. Let's get right to it. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. My friends, it is time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And earlier today, there were reports out there, one from The Athletic, that suggested that Kyrie Irving and the Nets are at an impasse regarding his future, the impasse likely centered around a contract extension. Kyrie looking for a full four-year guaranteed contract extension on top of the uh, opting in of a $37 million player option for this coming year in the Nets. Not really wanting to do that considering everything that has gone on around the vaccination, around his injury history, and around just not really wanting to show up at certain times. And, And Chris, this is... It's funny. It's an impasse over what? It, it's not an impasse if it's pretty clear that one team does not trust a player anymore. It might be an impasse for Kyrie Irving. I don't know if it's an impasse for the Nets right now. Well, here's what I'll say, Carlin. And Herm Edwards, when he said this statement, it was profound, and yet it was so simple. The best ability is availability when it comes to any profession, but particularly in professional sports because it's such a competitive industry, and Kyrie Irving has proven to be anything but. In the games that it's been possible for him to play, he's played in 103 games, Carlin, as a Brooklyn Net over the last three years. He's missed 123 games. He only played in 29 games this past season with him. For whatever reason, Kyrie has shown that he's not going to show up when the team needs him every single night. And if you're trying to compete at a championship level, that undermines everything that the organization is trying to do. All the efforts of everybody else that's in that building, that's in the Barclays, what they're working toward, Kyrie Irving, because he's such a significant piece, he cuts the legs out of, out from under him. And so that's the thing that led Sean Marks and Joe Sy prompted them to draw that line in the sand that we heard a couple of months ago when they mentioned Kyrie by name and talking about how we need guys that are going to sacrifice and buy into what the team is trying to do, a team-first agenda. And so that's the interesting part about seeing where this thing goes from here. But one thing became abundantly clear to me, Carlin, it was when Sean Marks talked to the media a couple of months ago, but then also with this news about the two sides being at an impasse. Kevin Durant, he's the one that helped sign off on the organization taking this stance and essentially giving Kyrie Irving an ultimatum. That's what's happening right now this offseason, and that's what's laying 
the, the, the backdrop for this summer in the NBA and seeing all the player movement because Kyrie Irving might be the single biggest piece that could potentially be on the move. Listen, it, it's nice that Kyrie wants what, what every one of us really wants in life, at least most of us, who are, you know, sane, and that's to get paid a lot of money for doing very little. So we're all just jealous of Kyrie Irving? And, you know, from that standpoint, I can't necessarily fault him. I mean, I get it. I know where he's coming from, but it's also just remarkably absurd for him to expect there to be any different considering how he's acted the last couple of years and i'm sure that any teams that he is throwing out there whether it's the Nets, and i say he's throwing out there because this is clearly from Kyrie's side that this has come out any teams that he's throwing out there is just trying to gain some sort of leverage by saying yes i'd like to go to the knicks or i'd like to go to the lakers really that's great. Would either of those teams really want you? Even the Knicks are at a point where they are sane enough to maybe not want you. Uh, they're, they're, they understand because they have had a front row seat to watching you be a complete disaster to really know enough to not go and get you. Chris, like, I just don't understand how you can listen to somebody not a couple of months ago, or not even two months ago, April 25th, say the following after he was eliminated with the Nets from the first round when they got swept by the Boston Celtics. Take a listen to Kyrie from the press conference after they got swept on April 25th. My extension, man, I I don't really plan on going anywhere, so, you know. This is, uh, like I said, this is added motivation for our franchise to be um, at the top of the league uh, for the next few years. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to the summer and just building with our guys here. When I say I'm, I'm here with Kev, I think that it really entails us, um, you know, managing this franchise together alongside Joe and, and Sean and um, just our, our group of family members that we have in, in, in our locker room and our, in our organization. With Joe and Sean and our family members, this is how we're going to build it. So really, Kyrie is at an impasse with management, but he's a co-GM, according to Kyrie. So he's at an impasse with himself, which at first I thought, eh, I don't really get that. But then again, it's Kyrie, so I kind of do. I kind of understand where he could come from with this. No doubt about it. But here's the thing that I go back to, Carlin, and everybody wants to pin this on the COVID-19 mandate and not being vaccinated as why this issue with Kyrie has come up. But we got to think back to a couple of years ago when I want to say it was in December, Kyrie Irving went missing for several weeks and nobody within the Brooklyn Nets organization knew where he was. And he popped up in random places. Like he was on a Zoom for then a district attorney candidate's campaign in the city of New York. He actually showed up at a nightclub to celebrate his sister and his father's birthday. There were those incidents, yet he didn't let his employers know where he was going to be at or when he was going to be expected back. And, Colin, they were paying him over $30 million that season. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't understand in what world is that okay. At what job is it okay to go missing, to not let your employers know when you, where you are and not give them a reason why you're absent and then not let them know when you're going to be back? Other than point it's guard that, for the Brooklyn Nets, I don't know. Exactly. I mean, and, it's, and it's that level of, of – 
accountability or lack thereof that has led the Brooklyn Nets down this path where they have to draw a hard line approach. But here's the thing, Carlin. It's not just the Brooklyn Nets that see what Kyrie Irving has done over the last couple of years. This is the entire NBA. So when Brooklyn is trying to put all of these stipulations or protections in the contract in order to find a path forward with Kyrie, best believe there are a lot of other teams around the NBA that are saying to themselves, yeah, we'd like to make a run at Kyrie Irving, but we're also going to build in some protections for ourselves as well just because we know that this is one of the most mercurial players in the entire league. So Kyrie can test the market. Kyrie can threaten to go to the Lakers or the Knicks or the Clippers or wherever other franchise that he wants to toss into the mix. But the reality is, from a logistic standpoint and being able to facilitate those types of deals, and then from a contractual standpoint, what those teams would be willing to do, I don't know that it's going to be that much better for Kyrie at a different destination. So uh, it's interesting. The player in this situation feels like they have leverage, but I'm not sure that that's the case based on what, what you're hearing from sources around the NBA on how other teams perceive Kyrie Irving. It's a complete lack of self-awareness and of, of how other people view you. Uh, Chris, what Kyrie would be searching for at that point is pure desperation. Desperation of a team that needs to find a way to either A, be relevant, or B, feels like they are a talent of Kyrie Irving away from legitimately competing for a championship. And is it worth it at that point to trust him? I don't know a team in the league right now that could honestly do that because you could either end up trusting him and get completely smoked in the process if you're a team that needs some relevance. I mean, does Kyrie have any interest in going to the Sacramento Kings? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think Kyrie's going to play again if it's if it's the Sacramento Kings. Remember, Chris, it wasn't that long ago. It was like literally weeks ago. That out of Kyrie's camp, it was, well, if it's not for the Nets, he's going to retire. He's, he's going to retire. He's not Man, ain't no way in hell Kyrie's, Kyrie Irving is walking away from the kind of money that of he's talking not. about. Carlin, we're talking about $37 million dollars next season if he opts in. And in, in year one of the contract extension, $45 million, Carlin, in year one of the extension. But there's no way he's walking away from that kind of money. Of course not. So he not. can have all of these sound bites that say it ain't about the money, baby. But it is about the money. Anytime you're as good as Kyrie Irving is at one thing, you want to be compensated fairly for it. And there are people that are willing to do it. The only thing that those people want to know is they're going to get what they pay for. Be available when we need you to be. Buy into a team-first agenda. Don't be running practices after Steve Nash conducted a practice. Don't openly undermine your coach and say, yeah, well, you know, sometimes Steve will be the coach, I'll be the coach, then KD will be the coach. That's absolutely ridiculous. I don't Uh, understand it. Like, you're a star player, and everybody in the organization respects what you bring to the table. But it doesn't seem like you respect what everybody else is trying to do. And that's been my biggest issue with Kyrie Irving. Because if you're going to compete for a championship, if you're committed to that end, then you need to be seen as doing everything you can to possibly get that done. And And last year, with the mandate that was in place, it was hard to reconcile the fact that Kyrie was willing to do whatever it took to win a championship and yet not be vaccinated. And he hasn't, frankly, he's done the exact opposite of disrespecting his teammates by the way he's handled himself. 
and and there's there's no getting around that. It, this has been Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. It is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app right now. For more on Kyrie Irving, we welcome in Christian Winfield, the New York Daily News, Nets and NBA reporter. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Splashed with a K. Chris, it's Chris Carlin and Chris Canny. We appreciate a few minutes and... You, you had to know, as a Nets beat reporter, it was only a matter of time. You weren't going to get a whole lot of downtime because Kyrie is going to make his his presence felt in the offseason, right? A hundred percent. And this goes back to some of my reporting two weeks ago where, you know, we, we've kind of seen the breadcrumbs for this, you know, being laid out when you have Kyrie saying, you played the audio where he said he wants to co-manage the franchise with KD and, and, and management and then about a week later, you have Sean Marks coming out and saying, hey, we want players that are going to be here full-time committed to the team, saying that two times in a week span, you know. And then you also have just the reality of the situation right now, which is if Kyrie decides, hey, you know, I don't want to do this, I'm going to leave as a free agent, well, the Nets don't have cap space. They can't just go out there and say, hey, uh, whoever's a free agent, max player, let's sign them. They don't have the cap space to do that. They'd have to pull off a trade. And when you look at some of these trades, even if you do want to sign and trade Kyrie, you know, other teams know just how much uh, other teams know just how much the rest of the Nets are under right now to get a deal done. If they're in that situation, you're not going to get equal value. So it's the the best option right now for the Nets, in my opinion, is, hey, bring Kyrie in, make him happy, sign him to a long term deal. You you made your bet already when you signed him to the first one. You've got Kevin Durant. You still got Ben Simmons. If you think Ben Simmons is healthy and you think Kyrie is committed, and you still have KD, you've got one of the most talented teams in all of basketball. You just can't mess it up. And I think that's what we're watching right now. It's like, I mean, if they find a way to mess this up, it's going to be terrible. And what what happened with, with KD, bringing KD, bringing Kyrie here to win a championship, if Kyrie walks, there, there is no championship. That, that doesn't happen. Christian, I find the KD of it all to be fascinating, him watching his former team hold up the Larry O'Brien trophy on Thursday sure. night and him – leaving that situation in order to establish his own championship contender with the Brooklyn Nets and him relying on Kyrie Irving in order to do it. I said this a couple of months back when Sean Marks had that press conference where he essentially laid out an ultimatum for Kyrie Irving. It feels like Kevin Durant has given Josiah and Sean Marks permission to execute this strategy but we really haven't heard a lot from Kevin Durant or his camp when it pertains to the future of Kyrie Irving. Just exactly where is KD on all of this stuff that's going on with his franchise? You know, it feels like we don't hear from KD unless he's on Twitter talking about music or talking about what it's like to, to play basketball at the highest level. You know, um, it's interesting, right, because they are really, really close friends by by all indications, but you know, and, and this kind of was dragging on in the middle of the season when we were trying to figure out from Kevin if Kevin had been t- talking to Kyrie while he was out, if he was going to get vaccinated, if he was going to, you know, try to put some pressure on Kyrie to get vaccinated. This is that. This is last season before the, the mandates get lifted. And Kevin said, hey, you know, I, I don't want to be naive, or maybe I am a little naive, but I think he's going to do what it takes to, to get back. And that never happened, right? We ended up going an entire season, well, entire half a season, before the Nets welcome him back and then the mandates loosen. Um, It's tough, right? Because on one end, you have arguably two of the most skilled players, not even arguably, two of the most skilled players of all time on the same team. You rarely get to see that, right? I mean, this is a a rare occasion. But at the same time, 
you've got Kyrie's history as a guy who, you know, sometimes puts other things in front of basketball in terms of priorities. You mentioned last year, it, it was January 6th when, there, when the insurrection at the Capitol happened that, that Kyrie took that time off, you know, and it, it just seems like sometimes any one little thing can set him off to where now he's emotionally detached from basketball. The Nets can't afford for that to happen anymore because of how much they've invested in him, how much they've invested in Kevin. You you consider the age, Kevin's getting up. This is year 17 coming up for him, right? He's got it. And you just mentioned it as well. You've got the Warriors winning the championship without him. Kevin comes to Brooklyn to start his own thing, and we've got one playoff series victory to show. Um, it's tough, right? It's tough, and they're friends, but at the end of the day, they want to win. Um, I, I would assume that means they want to win together, and Kevin's going to pressure him to be available but I, it, it's tough, right? You, you don't know which way to go. Um, this could go any direction. I'm not sure which way it's going to go at this point, but I think the smart thing for the Nets to do right now would be to, to sign Kyrie to an extension because if you lose him or if you trade him, you're not going to get equal value. At least I don't think so. And um, if you don't get a championship out of this window and you've already sacrificed your draft picks, you traded away so many different players, all this would be for nothing. That's, that's also not good for Brooklyn at all. Wow. Christian Winfield, New York Daily News, covering the Nets, and, of course, NBA reporter joining us. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Is there any way that Kyrie agrees to an extension that isn't the full guarantee of what he is looking for? I mean, is there anyone – I guess the bigger question here in that regard is, is there anyone who can actually reason with Kyrie Irving about his situation? (laughs) I know. It's it's laughable. I would assume Kevin, right? Kevin is someone that can reason with him. I would assume, obviously, his his pops, his father, Dredrick Irvin, that's someone else that could reason with him. You know, there's something to be said for not abandoning everything that they've built in Brooklyn, right? And for them to come, for Kevin and Kyrie to come to Brooklyn and kind of try to put – you think back to last season, I mean, if Kevin's foot isn't on that line, if Kyrie isn't hurt, if James Harden isn't playing on a half a leg, you know, that's, that's a championship right there, and that's how close they are. You think about yeah, this. But, season, Christian, just just, to, to play devil's advocate for a second, that's a lot of ifs, and even James Harden yeah. looked at this situation and said, I got to get out of here. Yeah, it's it's tough. So I'm, it, it is a lot of ifs, but that's what happens when you sign, when you, when you decide to sign KD and Kyrie to four-year deals. You sign KD coming off of an Achilles. You sign Kyrie knowing his injury history and knowing his availability patterns. Right. I mean, look at it. They, they took another gamble on Ben Simmons. You trade James Harden for a guy who hasn't played all year and just got back surgery. Right. It's just decision after decision that that leaves you in this circumstance. And now you kind of have to sleep in the bed that you made. And if you're trading Kyrie for pennies on the dollar, you might as well kiss a championship goodbye. And if you're kissing a championship goodbye knowingly ahead of time, that's a tough sell to your fan base. I think I think they got to keep Kyrie in town. They have to do what it takes. Um, I, I think what makes sense here is, you know, I think a five-year deal is completely off the table. I don't see that happening. I think a three-year deal with maybe some additional team options in there somewhere is probably where we end up if they decide to, if they can come to some sort of an agreement. Um, other than that, we're probably looking at a sign and trade, and um, I think that's a bad case scenario for the Nets. Talking with New York Daily News Nets reporter Christian Winfield on Canty and Carlin, and Christian. Since you wanted to go down that road, I, I got to get you to clarify some things for our Not even clarify, but just lay out some scenarios. If Kyrie Irving isn't playing for the Brooklyn Nets next season, where does he end up, and how, how does he end up getting there? Well, it's tough, right, because you look at the teams that have cap space, 
and none of those teams are considered contenders, right? So there's probably two different routes that he can get to a contender. One is, you know, opting into this. Uh, he, has, he has until June 29th, I believe, to either opt in or opt out of the final year in his contract. If he opts into that, he can then negotiate a sign and trade to another team. Um, the the other alternative is signing a deal as a free agent. Maybe you sign a max deal with, with, I don't know, the Spurs or a team that, that could clear enough cap space to sign them. And maybe you play until December 15th, right? And then after December 15th, teams are allowed to trade players that they just signed, right? So you do a little stint in maybe San Antonio, maybe Detroit, wherever it is with the agreement that once the moratorium passes and you can trade him, you move him to that team that you want to be on. But none of those are ideal, right? You want I, Kyrie grew up in Jersey, right? He wants to be here. He grew up a diehard Nets fan. I don't think he wants to leave this area. And he's also built this stuff with Kevin, right? Like they, they want to win. You know, it's just a matter of these are the decisions that Kyrie's made for his life, and this is how they – trickle over into other areas of his work, right? And now you've also got an organization that wants to play hardball now, even though they kind of made this bed themselves. It's, it's a crazy situation we're in, right? This is supposed to be a championship team. This is supposed to be a team that is supposed to be going to the NBA Finals year after year, and now we're, we're wondering whether they'll even be constructed the same way next year. So uh, it's going to be a, a very fun next two weeks. I think we're going to see a lot of things start happening these next two weeks with the chance to Kyrie. Christian, we appreciate the time and perspective. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. Anytime. Christian Winfield, he, of course, covering the Nets and the NBA for the New York Daily News. I'll tell you, there are so many moving parts to this thing, and yet some of them may not be moving at all. It's Canty and Carlin this afternoon, and we are just getting started. And up next, exactly how does this all play out now for the future of one superstar And is he going to be somewhere else? That's KD, not Kyrie. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. And we saw this year, you know, when, when you have, you know, Kevin miss 27 games with injuries and Kyrie being out for over half the season. I mean, that hurts. You know, that hurts from a roster building standpoint. You know, that's, that's not what we planned for. So um, some are avoidable and, and other excuses are of, of individual nature. And those are the ones that we have to try and avoid. We need people here that want to be here. They're selfless. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And they, there's an objective and there's a goal at stake here. And in order to do that, we're going to need availability from everybody. And it's clear to the Nets that Kyrie Irving has not been that guy so far. And who can blame them at this point? It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus and also on Sirius XM Channel 80. Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story of one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And Chris, this not just leads to the major problems for the Nets, but more importantly for Kevin Durant, this is the guy that he decided to hitch his wagon to, that he trusted. And Kevin Durant, quite simply, wants to establish his own legacy as one of the all-time greats to play the game and wanted to go out and win a championship on his own. That was more important than actually winning. And that's why he finds himself in this situation. He has chosen the wrong guy to back, and he has gotten bitten for it. And now, I don't know exactly what the way out of it is. Yeah, I don't know the way out of it either, Carl. And I think the way out of it has to be the way through. Kevin Durant signed a contract extension at the beginning of last season to stay with the Brooklyn Nets long term. He's got four more years on that deal and $194 million. He's not going anywhere. So it's about trying to make this situation in Brooklyn work. The problem is I don't know that it's going to work with Kyrie Irving. The best indicator for future performance is past performance. And based on all of the different reasons that Kyrie has been able to come up with as to why he can't be available to play basketball and and support his team, I I don't know that that's somebody that you can depend on as Kevin Durant moves into the twilight of his career. While he's at the height of his powers – Kyrie Irving, because of his lack of accountability, hasn't put the Nets in a position where they could take advantage of what Kevin Durant brings to the table. And the only person that we can blame for that is Kevin Durant because he's the one that decided he was going to leave a better basketball situation with the Golden State Warriors and go to Brooklyn. And, Carlin, how do we know it's a better basketball situation? Because the Warriors just won their fourth title in the last eight years. Yeah. They just proved to us it's a better basketball situation than whatever Kevin Durant could have put together in Brooklyn, even though he had a former MVP in James Harden and he had the best ball handler in the world in Kyrie Irving. But, Chris, I, I think he gets caught up too much in this. 
in, in things like what Charles Barkley had to say, TNT's NBA analyst on Get Up, and referencing KD and the fact that when he signed the Golden State, it seemed like the easy way out, and if he's trying to, quote, get respect from some of the old guard, no, no, no. He's got to go and do it on his own. Here's Barkley. Before KD gets that great respect from all the old heads, he's going to have to win a championship as the guy, as the bus driver. Listen, he joined this, uh, that team had already won a championship, so no disrespect. That's just a fact. But until he is the guy on a championship team, we're not going to ever give him the respect, I mean, that he probably deserves. And that's just the way it is. And like I say, the, the game hasn't changed. Kobe said it. LeBron said it. And so we're going to hold him to the same high standard. Well, let's be clear. I respectfully, one, I, I respectfully disagree with what Charles Barkley just said. Well, first of all, Charles never won anything. <laughs> so yeah, when Charles yeah, is yeah, saying yeah. we, yeah. I mean, that's problematic. Yeah, I, I respectfully disagree. I, I'm not going to take it as far as you and take a shot at, at Chuckster. But I, I'm and just I love gonna, Chuck. I do. I'm just going to say it like know. this. Kevin Durant is one of the best dozen players to have ever played the game. When ESPN did their preseason poll, Kevin Durant checked in at 12. That's where he was. Now, Steph Curry was 16th, but since then – Steph Curry has now passed Kevin Durant, and a lot of people have Steph Curry in their top 10 all time. Now, if we were picking players on the playground, I don't think there's anybody that would take Steph Curry over Kevin Durant. But I do think the intangibles that Steph Curry has shown in the way of leadership is the key point of difference when we're comparing the two players, but also comparing the teams that those players have played for and the sustained success that we've seen from the dubs in comparison to what we saw with KD with the Thunder or what we're seeing with KD with Brooklyn. And, Carlin, I think it's absolutely fair to criticize Kevin Durant and his leadership style or lack thereof because this is one of those situations now. Because KD won't go at his friend Kyrie Irving and hold him accountable, it makes it hard for everybody else to have a level of accountability that's going to allow Brooklyn to compete on the highest the, the, the highest stage the game has to play. It's going to make it hard for Brooklyn to get through those series like what we saw, you know, the, the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat battle it out for, like what we saw with, uh, with um, Boston and Milwaukee. It makes it hard to get through those teams if you don't have guys that buy into a team-first agenda, if you don't have guys that are accountable. And that's been the difference with what we've seen from the Nets in this postseason versus what we've seen from the Warriors, Carlin, because all we keep hearing from players from Golden State is how important Steph Curry is to their team. Yeah. He's our unquestioned leader. He's the engine of our team. Steve Kerr went as far as to say all of this is possible because of Steph. It's because of the tone that he set for the franchise. I I don't think it's reaching to say that a part of the mess that we're seeing in Brooklyn is because of the tone that Kevin Durant set for the Brooklyn Nets or the lack thereof. Oh, it's and so not, we have it's not so reaching. we absolutely have to criticize Kevin Durant for as great a player as he is. This is on him in terms of letting this Kyrie Irving saga get so far gone. Chris, he's not a leader. Kevin Durant's a great player, but he's not a leader. He's not an alpha. He never has been. Nobody has ever spoken of him as we were just uh, discussing with the way that the. Golden State Warriors speak with the respect of, of Steph Curry. It's yeah. it's just not him. Chuck wants him to drive the bus. He can't pass the test to get the license. Nobody looks <laughs> at him and says, 
this is the guy I want to run through the wall with because that's not what Durant is. He's never been an alpha. Now, unfortunately for the Nets, the alpha really has been more Kyrie Irving because he's the guy that when he steps in, he goes to these press conferences. Hey, we're going to run this organization. We're going to work together and make this great. And yet then uh, some guys could follow him and they end up going the wrong way. This has been a disaster from the get-go because KD made the decision that he wanted Kyrie to be his number two when Kyrie was always going to try to be the number one to begin with and do whatever the heck he wanted. And when you are KD and you can't set a tone with your co-pilot about going and winning, this is where you end up. This is where you end up. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. Our friends on Barton Hahn this past week, one specifically, I don't want to name him, Bart Scott, said that he would rather (laughs) play against Tom Brady than Peyton Manning. So we're going to ask a former defensive player what his answer is in just moments. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You know, I don't know how much of it you got a chance to watch, but seeing Matt Fitzpatrick win the U.S. Open, Chris, listen, it's not the sexiest name out there. There were a lot of things that happened this weekend. Rory McIlroy, God, I mean, hang in there. Yeah, you you can't talk cash money about the live golf tour guys and then be at the top of the leaderboard and have the kind of Saturday that he had. No, you cannot. Like it's moving day, but Rory McIlroy was moving in the wrong direction. Yeah, no, you cannot. Absolutely not. Big, big no-no. Yeah. Now, I will say, 
that while this will not be a U.S. Open that we will be talking about for years and years and years to come, what Fitzpatrick did with that shot out of the bunker on 18 to win, which which ensured that he would be able to two-putt after just a massive screw-up. I mean, that was as tough as it gets. That is as clutch of a golf shot as you will ever see in a major. It won't be one that'll be remembered forever, but holy crap, I would kill to be able to do that. But Carlin, he was making shots like that all weekend long, and I think it speaks to his comfort level because remember, he won the amateur championship back in 2013 at that same course, and he's one of only two golfers to have ever done that, to win their first career major and to win the amateur championship at the same exact course, and the other one being one Jack Nicholas. So that's pretty good company for Matt Fitzpatrick to be in, but it was really impressive in terms of the last round of the U.S. Open, and particularly the back nine, just the drama, the theater of it all, because Scotty Scheffler was right there, as well as Will Zalatoris, and for both of those guys to miss birdie putts on 18 that would have been able to force a playoff with Matt Fitzpatrick, and then Fitzpatrick to be able to come out with that shot out of the bunker, like it was really, really fun to watch that moment play out in real time. And then, Carlin, once you see the celebration, you're you're happy for Matt Fitzpatrick, but you're also happy for his caddy, Billy Foster, who had been on the tour for over 40 years. That was awesome. And finally got his first major championship. And when, for, when it first happened, you could tell that Fitzpatrick was almost happier for him. No <laughs> doubt about it. No doubt about it. So for all of those people that say golf isn't a team sport, uh, that, that goes to show you, man. I mean, those guys, it was genuine emotion. It was good to see. And I think it's great for golf too, Carlin. And it says something that 11 of the last 14 U.S. Open champions those were those golfers' first major championships. So I think it's great to have that kind of competition because that's what an open tournament is all about. Yeah, listen, for me, that was just a fantastic moment for that kid. I won't sit there and say, I remember where I was when, like I have with other golf uh, great moments, but at least for Fitzpatrick, it was awesome. If you know Bart Scott, you know you're going to get some things sometimes that are going to feel like they're out of left field, and what is he talking about? And he's got to be out of his mind. But there is method to the man's madness. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Listen to what Bart had to say on Bart and Han the other day on whether or not or whether he would rather face Tom Brady or Peyton Manning as a linebacker. Here he is. I'd much rather go against Tom Brady every day of the week than to go against Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. That's how you feel. I, I believe that's how everybody feels. Interesting. I like, like that. You don't fear right. Tom Brady. Peyton Manning gives you a total sense, a different set of anxiety. <laughs> like, you have anxiety. Like, you sleep at night like, damn. With Tom Brady, it was more about Bill Belichick, the entire team, the execution, like, them having a game plan. All right, Chris, ex- explain to me if I'm wrong here. With Brady, it sounds like Bart's saying you knew what you were getting. With with Peyton Manning, it feels like you had no idea what you were going to be getting on a particular week. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, though, Carlin. How okay. I would break it down is this. If we're talking about a regular season game, yeah, I'm more afraid of Peyton Manning. But if we're talking about a postseason game, I am terrified of playing against Tom Brady. I mean, Peyton Manning's only one game over 500 in the playoffs. Tom Brady's playoff record. Now, I know he's played a lot more playoff games. Tom Brady is 35-12 and 12 in the playoffs. 
So, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, the, the, the proof is in the record. You don't have to argue that. But I got a couple of short stories here. The first one with Peyton Manning and Carlin. This goes back to 2010 when I was with the New York Giants. Mm-hmm. The second game of the season was Manning Bowl. And I want to say this was Manning Bowl, too. The second time that Peyton and Eli had squared off. And the Giants defensive staff got a little bit cute because they expected that we would be in nickel, knowing that the Colts threw the ball a lot. And so when it came down to releasing our active and active list 90 minutes before kickoff, we decided that we were only going to have two defensive tackles up for the game because they were anticipating being in nickel situations and letting Justin Tuck and Matthias Kiwanuka play defensive tackle more than me and Barry Cofield. Well, Peyton Manning counters that with having three tight ends and three running backs up. And Carlin, I want to tell you the final score of that game was 38-14 to 14 Colts. Do you know how they got it done? They got it done on the ground. They ran the ball <laughs> up our ass to the tune of 43 carries for 160 yards. It was Donald Brown and Joe Adai all game long. And the way that Peyton Manning did it was no huddle. So Barry Cofield and I couldn't get off the field and couldn't get a rest. And then when we did get off the field, making Justin Tuck and Matthias Kiwanuka play defensive tackle. That was the brilliance of Peyton Manning when it came to the strategy in a run-of-the-mill regular season game. Now, I will give you the brilliance of Tom Brady. Mm. Fast forward 2014, I'm with the Baltimore Ravens, and it's the divisional round in Foxborough playing against the Patriots. And the Patriots were down by 14 points at two different occasions in the game. And when they got down, those following possessions on offense, what they did was they went no huddle, but they substituted out an offensive lineman. So they had four offensive linemen, and they had six skill position players. Now, one of those guys wasn't an eligible receiver, but it didn't matter. They went no huddle, and we didn't know who the ineligible receiver was based on the formation, but we couldn't figure that out in real time, and they ended up marching the ball down the field on two separate occasions and scoring touchdowns. Needless to say, the Patriots were the ones that advanced. They ultimately got to the Super Bowl and lost to the Seahawks. But they beat us when I was with Baltimore with that strategy. Now, you want to credit Bill Belichick? That's fine. You can credit him for coming up with it and finding a loophole, which has since been closed. But Tom Brady was the one that executed it. So both of those quarterbacks are great in their own right. I don't think there's a a, a right answer when it comes to who's scarier. I will just say this. When it comes down to playing with with all the chips on the line, I don't want to play against Tom Brady. I'd rather play against Peyton Manning. But when he says that about Brady and Manning, it just strikes me that he's talking about with with Manning just he feels like he's always out thinking you at every turn, whereas – like Brady, you know that he's going to go for the weakest part of what you're trying to do. In other words, it makes me just feel like Bart's when you're an athlete or you're at a linebacker in that spot or a defender that you almost don't trust yourself and what your instincts are when you're facing Manning. Well, here's what I'll say about that. Bart Scott faced off against Tom Brady twice a year when he was with the New York Jets. Yep. So I think there's less of a fear factor when it comes to playing against teams in your division. You know them better than you know anybody else. He didn't spend a lot of time in the same division as the Indianapolis Colts and Peyton Manning. So if you're only seeing them once a year, it's a different story, and there probably is a little more fear because it's more of an unknown. But in terms of how great they are and who's the scarier quarterback, the answer is both. They're both scary. And if you had a choice, you don't want to play against either one of them. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. 
If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 